to another episode of the Touchpoints podcast put on by East Point Bible Church. Today will be the first episode of a seven-part series titled The Right Answers for Wrong Ideas. And the aim of this series is to provide biblical direction and wisdom for where to go and how to answer those who disagree with the biblical teaching on truth. And I hope that this series will equip you with the knowledge of how to approach specific worldviews with the truth of God's word and thoughtful logic. Uh, This is a part one of part two, so the first of two episodes that will focus on the biblical response to Catholicism, Uh, where to go in God's word, um, how to talk to Catholics, and what are the best ways to address the relevant central issues on our disagreements about theology. We could spend hours talking about the many subjects that Christians and Catholics have differences between each other. Uh, We could talk about the veneration of Mary. We could talk about the theology of priesthood, uh, the communion, uh, whether you're consubstantiation, transubstantiation, uh, the representative view. I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about, a lot of things that we as Christians being faithful to witness can talk about with Catholics. It's easy to get on these rabbit trails that lead us into the thick weeds of dogma and certain Uh, peripheral issues, maybe issues that are important, but a lot of these issues don't hit the heart of what makes us different from Catholics and why our theology differs. And there's a couple of key areas that I want to focus on in this episode and the next episode. And there's two, I think, key areas that our gospel conversations need to focus on when talking with Catholics. And that is the spiritual authority and the nature of salvation. And so in this episode, we're going to handle the spiritual authority aspect. And so spiritual authority focuses on where truth comes from and what determines what is true. And then the nature of salvation details how Catholics think they're saved and what they're saved from and compares it to the revelation of Scripture and what it says about salvation. So let's look at the issue of spiritual authority. This issue was brought to prominence during the Reformation period of church history. A rallying cry for Protestant Christians was sola scriptura, which means scripture alone as the authority of truth. The reason that this belief was controversial is the Catholic emphasis on tradition in the formation of doctrine. God's word is not the sole authority of truth to Catholics. Uh, Papal authority and church tradition that which is consensually agreed upon by church leaders of the past, are viewed as equal sources of authority to Catholics. Naturally, this belief causes an immediate divide between the evangelical view of spiritual authority and that of Catholics. Uh, The singularity and supremacy of God's word should be addressed in a gospel conversation with a Catholic. But why should we address the issue of spiritual authority in our gospel conversations with a Catholic? I think one of the main reasons is anytime we try to use God's word to support and articulate the necessity of salvation in faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, apart from works, anytime we hit any of these other central issues that we need to discuss, God's word is not seen as superior in something that a Catholic must believe at face value. That if God's word contradicts that which tradition has upheld and carried on throughout the centuries, 
then the tradition is going to believe, be believed over the face value statements found in God's word. Peter Kreeft uh, summarizes the Catholic position well. Uh, the church gives us, and Peter's a Catholic himself, the church gives us her tradition like a mother giving a child a piece of hand-me-down clothing that has already been worn by many older sisters and brothers. But unlike any earthly clothing, this clothing is indestructible because it is not made of wool or cotton, but truth. Sacred tradition is a part of the deposit of faith, which also includes sacred scripture. And this was taken by uh, the book Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. And so if God's word is not viewed as the ultimate source of truth, then when we show Catholics uh, the content of scripture that contradicts Catholic doctrine, claimed to be formed by sacred tradition, emphasis on the sacred and capital T tradition, Catholics will brush it off with ease under the conviction that what they believe is true because tradition has decreed or formulated it to be so. Uh, the Bible contradicts Catholic tradition consistently. And so we as Christians have to show in our gospel conversations that Scripture has greater authority and prominence in effect than tradition. And that tradition is indeed not equal to Scripture. That tradition is not the basis or a co-basis by which doctrine is formed, but that Scripture forms doctrine. And so we're not going to be able to cover an exhaustive amount of material due to time, uh, but we're going to look at a couple of key passages uh, that you can use yourself as you talk and witness with Catholics. And so the first place we're going to look at is in 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17 says this, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In this passage, we see that sacred writings, scripture, and the word, later we see in this chapter 4, verse 2, are all referring to the same thing. That is the basis of truth, that the word, as we see in chapter 4, a couple of verses later, which we'll look at, the sacred writings and scripture all equal this basis of truth. But why do they all equal the basis of truth? Well, Paul explains in verse 16 that they are all inspired by God or God breathed. So written revelation has come into existence by God's work and contains all the qualities of that which is verbally or would be verbally spoken by God. Truthfulness, clarity, authority, and certainty. Paul describes the place of God's word for the Christian in verse 17 and 16. He says essentially that God's word is everything to the Christian, that God's word is useful for teaching the believer what is true and right before God, useful for rebuking, for correcting, and he says for training in righteousness. Because the Bible is sufficient to teach the man of God what is true and right, and the Bible makes man, makes God's chosen instruments adequate to accomplish God's purposes. 
And so we see that scripture here, Paul regards it in a preeminent authority and position over the Christian. And continuing on his thoughts about God's word, Paul moves to his charge to Timothy, who is responsible for teaching God's word, being the shepherd at the church in Ephesus. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it says, I, this is Paul, solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's that, again, reference to the sacred writings and scripture. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from all truth and will turn aside to myths. So from this charge, we can observe a couple of key thoughts on Paul's perception of God's word. First, we see that the preaching of God's inspired word is the primary responsibility of a church shepherd because it grounds God's people in truth rather than error. That the primary responsibility of those who are called to lead and teach is to teach God's word, to be faithful to what it says. A second observation is that in Paul's warning that people reject sound doctrine, we can naturally see without forcing the text that Paul views the word as being equal or the source of sound doctrine. Teaching from God's word forms sound doctrine, but rejecting God's word leads to false doctrine. So shepherds who teach the word of God keep people from embracing false doctrine. And so what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, all the way through chapter 4, verse 4 shows us is that the word of God is first and foremost what the Christian needs to have sound doctrine and to be capable of living in a God-honoring way. What God has revealed to be written provides the basis for what man needs to know and how man needs to live before God. God's word is the supreme need for the Christian and the superior source of true doctrine inspired or breathed out by God. Also, we see that the teaching of God's word rests central at the responsibility of church leadership to build sound doctrine and equip the saints. God's word stands alone as the primary source of doctrine and direction needed to enable believers for obedience. Let's take a look at another passage in Acts 17, 11. And in this passage, we see another key point about the sufficiency of Scripture in defining and creating the standard for good, sound doctrine. Uh, we see in the example of the Bere Bereans receiving Paul's message, Acts 17, 11 says this, Now these, the Bereans, were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word, that is the message that Paul preached, with great eagerness, but not only eagerness, but examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Luke records the favorable experience of Paul with the Bereans because they accepted his teaching, which is the gospel, while comparing it to scripture to test its truthfulness. The Bereans realized that Paul's gospel was true because it was in harmony with the scriptures which Paul himself attests to regularly. We see this in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27 especially. 
So what does this passage teach us about God's word? We see that scripture is the standard for what doctrine and teaching to accept. A tradition is not a filter by which scripture is understood, but scripture is the defining standard for truth. The Bereans were recognized because they accepted doctrine according to the standard of God's word. It wasn't reversed. They didn't create or accept the doctrine Paul was teaching and then try to find it in God's word to see how they could believe it or come up with reasons to believe it, but they examined and tested it to see if it was really true. If it was really revelation of God, they tested it with what God had already revealed. Scripture hasn't changed its role of being the preeminent standard of truth and also being the distinguished determiner of doctrine. Scripture is the filter through which doctrine and tradition must travel, not the other way around. Scripture determines doctrine. Scripture defines tradition, at least that which is good tradition, not the other way around. Scripture is not interpreted or held accountable by tradition. Rather, tradition and doctrine are held accountable, kept in check, put in its appropriate place by Scripture. So does the idea of traditions have any biblical basis? Well, it does, and particularly with the Apostle Paul, uh, that traditions of a commonly held truth are indeed a biblical idea. For instance, in 2 Thessalonians 2.15, the Apostle Paul writes, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. So Paul commands the Thessalonians to hold to the traditions which were shared with them by Paul. Tradition here in the Greek refers to something that was handed down or transmitted. And in this context, it refers to a shared belief passed down. But where did these traditions come from? Uh, Were they truth that was agreed upon and consensually arrived at by church leaders? Were they some personal revelation or interpretation that Paul wanted to make doctrine? So what were these traditions? Well, they don't have, or the idea of traditions isn't the same that is held by Catholics today. Uh, We see where this tradition comes from in Paul's previous letter to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where he writes, For this reason we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs performs its work in you who believe. God's word formed the biblical traditions that Paul passed on to the Thessalonians. The traditions that Paul commanded the Thessalonians to hold fast to were truth rooted in the word of God that was shared to them. So tradition is not something that has an equal authority to Scripture. Rather, Scripture produces tradition. Scripture gives tradition legitimacy and definition. And so where Catholics wrongly veer off the path of truth is by promoting tradition to be an independent source of authority and informing doctrine, rather than viewing it biblically as dependent on Scripture. In the eyes of New Testament writers, Scripture stands as the chief authority over the formation of doctrine. 
the definition of tradition, and the standard for right and wrong. Everything that God has revealed through the Old Testament, through his Son, and in his Holy Spirit, in the New Testament, forms the doctrine that man must recognize as true, not something that man must complete, adapt, or define for the church. Scripture is superior, and Scripture is sufficient to accomplish God's purposes and reveal his will to his church. Like I said before, there are many other passages in Scripture that we could go to to look at the superiority and sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, but for the sake of time, we can't look at all of these. Thank you for joining us in this podcast. I hope it's been edifying, it's been encouraging, and it can equip you in how to better have gospel conversations with Catholics. Uh, the next episode, we'll be looking at the second major issue in our conversations with Catholics, which is the nature of salvation. We hope to see you next time.